What up and welcome in film fans. This is the SDFP, the second day film podcast, episode 21, coming to you on the 2nd of October. We are working our way into fall in West Michigan, joined by Champ. Champ, it's getting cool, man. And, you know, we were kind of been through this really low point with film, right? I mean, we all kind of agree, but we're, we're kind of starting to creep into maybe a better season. Yeah, where's my coat at, though? Holy cow, it's getting chilly down here in Michigan. Uh, but yeah, so some films that have been kind of hit or miss at the theater, sort of a lull period in between, you know, the big summer blockbusters and sort of the big uh, um, holiday releases that are coming down the pipe. Um, that being said, I've been to the theater a couple times this month and throughout September, so I'm excited to talk about the films today. Yeah, me too. Um, one film I've got my eye on for the future, really hoping we can do a pod on First Man getting a ton of airtime right now on TV, a ton of uh, publicity. That's something we're hoping for. But until then, um, before we have a big, big featured review, we're going to do who's watching what today. Champ, you've seen a few films recently. You're going to run down those. I've got a couple of, uh, I've got a show, and I've also got a, uh, a film we've already talked about a little bit, but something I hadn't seen. So I'm going to give my take on that. But before we do that, as always, we want to run down uh, our ways to connect with us and... Look, you know, this is something that's important to our pod. We always want people to add, like, email, give us their input, all that jazz. Yeah, we are the Second Day Film Podcast. You can find us on Facebook, uh, on Twitter at Second Day Film, SoundCloud, iTunes. Just go ahead and search the Second Day Film Podcast. That'll be the easiest way to find us. Uh, give us a, ra uh, a rating. Give us a review. Um, super important to sort of help people find the podcast. Hey, like I said, we're, we're, we're a small pod. It's a grassroots effort here. Um, um, we, we're just a couple guys who really love uh, movies and television, um, and we want to connect with more people that also, um, you know, have a, have a love for film and the magic of cinema. So the um, the more people that like us on social media and share the page and whatnot, it gives us more of an opportunity to do so. Yeah, and if you're a longtime listener, relatively speaking, our seven month long podcast, and you're not uh, you're not uh, sure where uh, Sam is, well. The popcorn correspondent, he's moved back up north. We still hope to have him on on kind of a guest uh, appearance uh, basis, but it's going to be tough for him to be on regularly. Yeah, and also, hey, we're always down to have, we were just actually talking before we came on air here that we were, uh, you know, looking into the idea of having guests or maybe even a possible co-host down in the future. So if you love movies and you think you might have something to offer, um, reach out to us. We'll get you on the podcast. We're always down to have a new voice and a new opinion um, as long as you uh, you know, want to take it seriously and provide some interesting commentary. Uh, we'd, be, we'd love to have you. Absolutely. All right, so let's dive right in. Um, we'll start with you, Champ, because you've got three, three things you want to talk about. I've got two. So uh, kick us off with uh, what you want to talk about first. So um, the first movie I want to talk about is one I went and saw a couple weeks ago uh, on the second day of the week, Tuesday. Uh, went, went, took a little solo venture down to Celebration Cinema South after one of my softball games. And I saw the film A Simple Favor. Uh, this movie is directed by Paul Feig. Um, but, but the plot summary on IMDb, a woman seeks to uncover the truth behind the disappearance of her best friend. Uh, this film stars Anna Kendrick, Blake Lively, and Henry Golding. Uh, there's a couple other you know, side characters in there. But like I said, Paul Feig, in addition to working in this sort of thriller genre, has a long history of working with female actresses um, in films like Bridesmaids, uh, Spy, The Heat are a few that I can think of. Um, and if nothing else, I think he really knows how to connect with actresses and get the best out of them. 
Of course, he's helped in this film by having two of the most likable actresses working in Hollywood today in Anna Kendrick and Blake Lively. Um, and I really think yeah. that's one of the film's strengths. Hugely popular. Of course, both huge names right now, yeah. you know, huge fan bases, huge social media followings. They're two charismatic females, and in, and in this movie, I'm going to use a term I've used before, they are infinitely watchable. Uh, Blake, <laughs> Blake Lively is a, is a personal favorite of mine, and I know I'm not alone, uh, you know, waving that flag. Um, but I know the popcorn correspondent who's not here has a big thing for Anna Kendrick. So yeah. it's, it's too bad he's not here to sort of, you know... Defend play, her honor? Yes, defend, defend her honor. Me and Evan maintain that she's more, you know, cute than sexy. Uh, but Sam, you know, Sam, if you're listening, you know... Ryan, well, I'm, I'm looking at the... Uh, I'm, I'm not going to lie. I'm looking at the, the title poster or the, the film poster here. She's she's looking like she's trying to be less cute and uh, more of uh, something else. Well, so that is a good point, Evan. It's funny you say that because... Um, you know, neither of them is, is really going out of their comfort zone in this movie. Anna Kendrick plays sort of the nerdy, awkward mommy blogger mm. type, and Blake Lively is a sort of sexy, mysterious, crude PR executive from the city. Um, but, but they really do play up on the sex appeal of both actresses in this movie. There's sex scenes involving both of them, um, that, you know, they're in sexy dresses throughout it, you know, they, they definitely, um manipulate the men in their lives in a certain way by using their sex appeal. Um, but uh, their performances are really what carries this. It, it's a really fun, fun movie to watch, and the sort of sex appeal and all that helps tell the story. You know, it, it's a story where we don't really know what's going on the whole time. There's lots of dark humor throughout it where whatever, there's something tragic that might be going on on screen, but it's actually funny. I think it's almost like a satire and a commentary on marriage and family life and sort of dynamics between adults. Once the story starts to unfold in the second and third acts, it definitely keeps you on your toes. There's some interesting twists, not necessarily stuff we haven't seen before, um, but, but it keeps you on your toes. Um, I think some things that happen are a little bit too convenient, things that sort of work out. I don't want to give it away, but it's a little bit too easy and it doesn't really come together logically, but it's still entertaining as it's doing it. Um, that being said, it, it's a really fun time with a theater carried by two beautiful actresses who just eat up the screen. It's a fun watch. Um, so I ended up giving it a 7 out of 10. Okay. Are you are you kind of like intentionally not giving us the generic plot? Because I, I don't really... What, what I mean, what is it about? What are they two characters connected for? Is it something where you'd rather... No, it's in the trailer. So basically, okay. Anna Kendrick is this sort of mommy blogger, and they meet through their kids. Their, their two kids are friends. Okay. And um, so they meet, picking them up from school one day, and then Blake Lively, we find out, is like this sort of rich, uh, crude executive from the city who has this job, and then suddenly she just disappears okay um and so the rest of the movie sort of deals with anna kendrick and henry golding who plays uh blake lively's husband sort of trying to figure out what happened to her okay. and there's a whole mystery and there's twists and turns from there i can't really go into it too much more other Fair than enough. that but basically these two meet through a chance meeting they become friends and the story goes from there okay i always like a mystery that's my favorite genre um so you know maybe that's something to check out. firmly in the thriller genre but okay. i do like i said i do think there's some sort of dark humor and satire okay. in there as well all right well hey um i'm gonna go back uh more than 10 years for a show i just started watching again jumping in the way back machine yeah so i first started watching this television series in college my roommate one of my freshman year roommates had the full box set college yeah so i watched all four seasons of this 
And then, not long after that, after the ascension of Netflix, I rewatched it again. But for some reason, I stumbled upon it on Comcast Xfinity On Demand. And I, I thought, man, it's been a while. I can't really remember how everything went down. College. So, so for the third time, I am watching Heroes. This is an NBC series. And... Um, you know, it's, it's funny that I've seen it three times, and yet there's so much of it that I don't remember. Um, I'm about halfway through the first season right now in my third watch. And I, I wanted to mention this because I think a lot of people have seen this series. Very, very popular NBC show. Came out in 2006 and had a four-year runtime, so 06 to like 09, right when we um, you know, were in college. Um, if, I, if I'm getting that, that time correct, let me just double-check there. Because, yeah, that would have been right about when I was in school. And so I'm, I'm about, um, you know, I'm about halfway through the first season in my third rewatch. And, you know, I got to say that in the first season, I love this show. It's awesome. The way you kind of gradually meet these different characters who have such different lives and live all across the U.S. and the country for that matter. And the unique superpowers that you slowly kind of gradually learn about. Um, and also how they intertwine and cross paths pretty quickly along the way. I just love that. You know, yeah, you've got the guy who can fly and you've got the guy who can read minds, but you've also got a character who can basically, you know, take powers from other people he's around. You've got a character who, when he's high, he can paint the future. Like, it's more complex and that benefits the plot here than just, like, really generic superpowers. Um, and I also think it's fun watching it again because... You know how certain characters are connected before it's actually revealed in the series. Uh, so I'm really enjoying it. The big knock, and I haven't gotten there yet, if my memory serves me correctly, is that after season one and season two, the show starts to go downhill and fast. Uh, if I remember right, the third and fourth seasons really start to lose some of the main characters that you care about. And they start to introduce you to others. I remember like a traveling circus in the fourth season. Weird shit. Uh, that you just don't really dive into or invest in, and the story gets really convoluted. So I'm gonna I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna go through and watch all four seasons again. Uh, I'm I'm loving the first one, and uh, we'll see how it goes. But that's kind of my memory of it. What do you remember from watching? I remember that I loved the first season, and the rest of it was trash. So okay. gee, Evan, not enough on Netflix and Amazon know, Prime know, and Hulu right? and you know on on HBO. Not enough stuff to watch these days that you gotta rehash this somewhat mediocre series on NBC because I remember really liking the first season and then just struggling to get through yeah. the rest of it. it. It really was pretty um, unmemorable, if yeah. I remember correctly, because I remember uh, it sort of got into the, the sort of habit of rehashing timelines and rehashing character circles and just plot lines over and over again without actually getting anywhere. I remember that this was one of those shows that was badly influenced by the writer's strike that happened around that okay. time. And that's one of the main reasons that people, similar to how Lost kind of lost its way in the middle, um, that a lot of people blamed it sort of on the writer's strike. I actually liked that circus plot line in the last uh, Did you? <laughs> uh, season. That was probably my second favorite season. I thought it sort of added some whimsy and Maybe. sort of imagination to it. was a different direction, for yeah. sure. Let me ask you this. Have you seen Heroes Reborn? The I'm not, no, that came out, what, last year, two years ago? Yeah. yeah. So I have to check that out, too. We'll see how it goes. I'm going to at least do the first and second seasons. If I start to trail off, maybe I'll stop. But uh, if Please any... do, because I think I've only given you 
about four or five wonderful television series to check out. Well, okay, and so I was uh, clicking around on Netflix, and you know, if anybody out there listening has any opinion here, there's two in particular that I, I'm contemplating diving into. One of them is your recommendation, Dark, I believe it's called, uh, the uh, German show. The other one I've seen a lot of pub about is called Ozark. Mm-hmm. Have you seen Ozark? Now with Jason Bateman, and it's sort of, I've heard of it sort of like the uh, the anti-Breaking Bad. Yeah. It's sort of the reverse That's what of I that. thought of. Mm-hmm. So if anybody's seen Ozark, let us know if you like it, because that's one that I've been close to getting started on. I think they're actually on their third series now, and it looks to be pretty successful. Uh, all right, so what's up next for you, man? Another film that I actually just watched today, <laughs> as a matter of fact, this morning, is a movie that uh, premiered at Toronto International Film Festival last year, I believe, but was just released on DVD um, earlier this year, um, and that's The Death of Stalin, which is directed by Armando Iannucci, who is a Scottish satirist. Uh, he makes satire movies. Um, and <laughs> I so, couldn't tell by the film poster. Yeah, so <laughs> uh, the, the plot somewhere in IMDb. Uh, the death of Stalin follows the Soviet dictator's last days and depicts the chaos of the regime after his death. Uh, this movie stars an ensemble cast of um, very talented actors, including, um, you know, Steve Buscemi, and Simon Russell Beale, and Jeffrey Tambor, and Michael Palin, and Paul Reddy, and Tom Brooke, and I could go on and on and on. It's a, it's a huge cast. Um, but this movie, I, I really loved it. It firmly falls in the political satire genre. So, despite it being about a serious issue, like the death of Joseph Stalin, and set in a time of extreme tyranny, oppression, and fear, this is one of the funniest movies I've seen so far this year. The ensemble cast plays all sorts of the heads of state who were the men closest to Stalin throughout his reign in Soviet Russia. And the plot follows their sort of jockeying for power as well as their schemes and sort of conniving for power following his unexpected death um, in the mid-1950s. It's quite obviously meant to make fun of Soviet Russia. This is a film made by a noted Scottish director who's known for satire, and it stars a bunch of English actors who are all speaking perfect English (laughs) while playing Russians. Um, uh, but, But what I love about it is within the film, they're all sort of playing it straight and close to the vest. They're not trying to be funny. They're acting as if they're actually in this serious situation, And because their delivery, while they're bickering and sort of vying for power and saying all this stuff, and as well as as the script by David Schneider, Ian Martin, and Peter Fellows, it's so clever. And the way that they're sort of bickering and playing off each other, it comes off as hilarious. Mm. Um, Again, it's important to emphasize that nothing that's happening on screen is actually funny, as in terms of, like, the events that they're depicting. You know, there's literally... The, the Soviets rounding up people and murdering them. You know, there, there's people talking about the death lists and the enemy lists, and there's so many lists that everyone's confused who's on what list. <laughs> and they're, everyone's living in fear of ending up on a list. Um, there's one scene in particular towards the beginning where uh, the head of the secret police gets one of these enemy lists from Stalin. He casually walks downstairs and gives out orders like, kill this man and his wife, do the man first, make sure she watches. Hands up another one. Uh, kill him, take him to the church, leave him on the pulpit, and he's just going down the line and saying this. So what he's saying is actually like really 
yeah. terrible, and it was a real event that happened in Soviet Russia, but because of the delivery and how we know that the filmmakers making fun of this was actually a real thing, it's it's a sort of strange comedy dynamic yeah. to it. Uh, the, the It's a satire. The performances are great throughout. Um, and, uh, you know, it's just really witty. It's really clever. There's this sort of boisterous, satiric Russian Red Army music whenever a, a major character comes on the screen. And then it will actually come up in writing on the screen as to who that person is and where they fit within the sort of cabinet and the committee. Um, it's just so explicitly, explicitly satirical that it's hilarious. Um, you know, I had a really, really good time watching the movie. Um, and I, and it made me want to watch every other thing Iannucci has done because yeah. I think that he's clearly got a grasp and he seems like he's a, a master of doing something like this. And even though it's, it's sort of like dark humor and satirical, I think he does a good job of not making light of the tragedies that occurred in Stalin's Russia. Obviously this was, you know, a lot of people think that the Americans should have turned the tanks around right after taking down Hitler and taking yeah. down Stalin. So this is obviously serious events that occurred, but this film does a good job of sort of providing a sort of light look at it while still providing respect okay. to it. Uh, I gave it an 8 out of 10, and I slid it in as my uh, number 7 movie so far oh. of this year. So I really enjoyed The Death of Stalin. So some, uh, I guess, actors, filmmakers, show creators have made like a living off of being offensive, right? Sasha Baron Cohen, that's, that's his living. Uh, the creators of South Park, the whole show is based on being offensive. Is it offensive? In that way? See, so if you ask someone from Russia that, they'd probably say yes. This movie was actually banned in Russia and several other of the sort of, you know, Eastern European, um, you know, countries. So they would say yes. But, you know, this is from an allied perspective, if you will. Um, you know, so I don't think it is. I think maybe, of course, it's, it's somewhat offensive in making fun of the Soviet Russian government at the time because... You know, they were they were tyrants, let's be real. They mm -hmm. murdered millions of their own people. So I don't know if, you, from our perspective, if you could necessarily say that they're being offensive. Yeah. I think that they are trying to do a service and show how they're trying to, he's trying to characterize, I wouldn't put it, uh, let me say it like this, I wouldn't put him on the level of Sasha Baron Cohen or South Park. It's not that kind of satire. It's it's more of a, of a you know, he's showing that, these guys that are in this room making these decisions, he's trying to characterize them and make them sort of likable in a way as they bicker and banter, but he's still showing the negative and horrific consequences of their actions on the normal people. So it, it, it is a serious subject matter still, but he's I think he's just trying to, yeah. you know, it's a satire. He's providing sure. context to what these guys maybe were like in a crazy way. Is he suggesting that they don't realize how horrible they were? I think no. I think okay. they do realize okay. how because that's they a tough were. balance to have something and say I appreciate how uh, awful this was for history and for a group of people, but I'm also going to like make it funny. That's a challenge. Oh, it is, well. and that's why I appreciate this movie so much because I think he nailed that sort of dynamic yeah. really well. I mean, it really just shows that these guys. You know, he's trying to characterize these guys who are clearly you know in positions of power that do thing do whatever they want. Um, but And then there's the sort of infighting and bickering. It's just a clever movie. It's really well done. The acting is wonderful. Um, I just think it's it really needs to be watched by, you know, a lot of people. I think it's a movie that not enough people have seen. So that's the death of Stalin. All right. Well, next up for me. Um, so full disclosure here. Um, 
if you've listened to the pod, you know our apartment flooded. We've been super busy, and football season started. So my watching has been less than it has been. Um, and so you're going to be disappointed to know the film that I went and saw in theaters last is one you've already talked about. But at your request, I went and saw Mission Impossible Fallout before it left theaters. Oh, thank God. I yeah. only I urged you to do that several yeah, I times. I know. I went. I went solo one day, had my, my bucket of popcorn ready to rock. And, uh, you know, as I, as you had suggested, seeing the other films in the series, because this is the fifth, I believe, it, it didn't matter. And I, you were right. Save for the main villain, who there's a bit of a backstory that you don't know film. about. Other than that, though, you didn't really need to know much. Um, I, did, I did take note in some research that a couple of the side characters were all five films. Um, particularly the big black guy. He apparently he's been in all of them. Luther so, Stickle, Vink, yeah. played by Ving Rhames. Yeah, so really cool to see you know some of those characters. You know, to find out that some of them have been there through the whole the so, whole five films. Simon Pegg as well is another one that's been yeah. sort of a mainstay. Is it's it's spanned twenty five years now, maybe thirty. Nineteen ninety nine, um, I think. Yeah. The first one. So um, twenty at least. Um, so yeah, this was just an incredible action film, right? You 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 said it. I'm not going to say much you haven't already said, but, um, I mean, in terms of just strictly action-adventure film, it's hard to beat this one. The story was, in my opinion, good, not great. Um, maybe not having some more of the backstory maybe lessened it for me. I thought it was, no, it was okay. It was kind of generic in some degree, but it was more than sufficient as a vehicle for just what was an incredible string of action sequences. The hand-to-hand -hand combat in this is so good. You get a huge appreciation for Tom Cruise. Because you know and you can tell that he, in most of these scenes, is not using a stunt double. You can just tell. It's too realistic. And, you know, and, and that's what we know. We've, right, we've read that. We've heard that. We know that. Huge props for him. Um, the chase scene seems to last forever, but never loses its suspense. Before that, the skydiving scene, really cool. At the end of the film, the, the climax is amazing. The helicopter scene, what a rush. Um, and this is my favorite thing about this film. And as a non-Mission Impossible enthusiast, I don't have the background to this, but I wouldn't be surprised if this was a common theme throughout these films. The best part is how... Ethan Hunt and the rest of his team are able to just cleverly work their way out of situations. They escape these really dangerous situations. They outsmart the villains. You know, it's just awesome each time that happens. And there were multiple times in this film where I kind of laughed when you see how they pulled something off. I won't give more because I don't want to ruin it, but it was just clever and fun and a ton of action. I ended up giving it an 8 out of 10. Well, yeah, I mean, I've you know, you can go back and listen to our, our full review of Mission Impossible Fallout. Um, me and uh, uh, me and Sam, I believe, were... No, we were, talked about it. Oh, it was us, too. Yeah, okay, yeah. yeah. So, uh, you know, we have a... I, I got into my thoughts at length, so yeah. I won't rehash that. But, yeah, just a great popcorn flick, summer mm -hmm. at the movies. Really gives you an appreciation for what a great action movie can be. Um so, yeah, I believe it's still sitting at number one in my top really? <laughs> right now. So, wow. of course, uh, you know, the Oscar uh, sort of contenders haven't come out yet, and there's still some movies I'm looking forward to this year. So uh, we'll see 
how it sort of, you know, fares when we come to the rest of it. But I think it's safe to say that it's firmly going to end up in my top ten movies of the year. Um, so, yeah, that's uh, Mission Impossible Fallout. It's the latest movie in the Mission Impossible franchise. All right, man. So, uh, last but not least, your third film uh, for today's pod. So, I uh, saved... Uh, the, the best for last as far as we're concerned here in the great state of Michigan. Uh, this is a movie that sort of hits close to home. Uh, it's what I saw last week on Tuesday. It's called White Boy Rick. Uh, this movie is directed by Jan Demange. I'm not sure if that is the exact correct pronunciation, but we'll go with it. Um, this is the story of teenager Richard Wershe Jr., who became an undercover informant for the FBI during the 1980s and was ultimately arrested for drug trafficking and sentenced in life to prison. Uh, that's the plot summary from IMDb. Um, this, this film takes place uh, in 1980s Detroit. Uh, this is Rick, Richard Bershey Jr. is a, is a true figure um, who up until recently was uh, incarcerated in the Michigan Department of Corrections. Um, he's now incarcerated in Florida for an unrelated car theft. Um, so, Way to go, dude. Yeah. So, Jeez. Um, so like I said, this movie set in 1980s Detroit um, within the poor, downtrodden, poverty-stricken, pre-revitalization movement Detroit is on full display in this. There's lots of shots of abandoned, dilapidated buildings and overgrown parking lots. Yeah. Um, most of the story takes place um, on the east side of Detroit in a sort of uh, what I guess was once a middle-class neighborhood, but it's it's definitely fallen on some hard times by the time this movie takes place. Um, where everyone sort of, it's a, it's a neighborhood where everyone sort of lives in close quarters and has to deal with each other's shit all the time. You know, everyone knows where the hookers are. Everyone knows where to find the drug dealers. Um, this movie stars Matthew McConaughey. He plays Richard Worsey Sr. And Rich Worsey Jr., White Boy, a.k.a. White Boy Rick, is played by Richie Merritt, who is, uh, somewhat of a newcomer, um, as far as I'm concerned. But, um, you know, he, he does a good job in this. Uh, Bell Powley, Jennifer Jason Lee, Brian Tyree Henry, Rory Cochran, uh, R.J. Ryder, Piper Laurie, Bruce Dern, they're all in supporting roles in this film. I think what it does well is that it really hits the setting of Detroit in the 1980s dead on. It, it wasn't a really great place in a lot of areas. Um, the settings, there's a lot takes place in like a roller skating rink, which from what I hear is a place where people used to hang out in 1980s Detroit. Um, I think the performances are really solid, especially Matthew McConaughey and Richie Merritt, who I mentioned. Um, their relationship and interactions are sort of really what carries the story. Um, McConaughey does a good job showing, you know, the conflicted nature of being a poor father. You know, he wants to provide for not only White Boy Rick, but his daughter, who has some drug issues. Um, he wants to do his best for the family, but he isn't really educated enough or doesn't have enough money to really do so on the up and up, so he sort of operates in a gray area throughout this sort of poverty-stricken area of Detroit. Um, that what do you mean gray area? Uh, so he's, you know, not always up and up with the law. He's okay, sort of fair enough. operating so, in an it. area that, that is... Was some, that, that was pretty intentional in, in just me asking that because of what his son gets caught up in. Well, yeah, yeah, and sort of those things are sort of, uh, actually, the, his father's crimes and his son's crimes are at times not related, but um, that's part of, this, of the fascinating story of Richard Bershey yeah. Jr. Um, and like I said, that being said, this is a true story of the man known as White Boy Rick. His actual life is extremely fascinating. He's the longest-serving nonviolent criminal in the history of the Michigan Department of Corrections. Um, 
But I feel like this film didn't really do justice to the real story. It takes some creative license, obviously, and even at that level, it doesn't make it a super compelling story. You know, the story of a poverty-stricken young drug dealer dealing with gangbangers and living on the edge of the law isn't really a new concept or a new story. You really have to find a sort of interesting way to approach that subject matter. And I feel like this flick does nothing to another film, or another phrase I use all the time, it does nothing to transcend the genre. It's just sort of... Uh, there and a straightforward telling of a guy who's had a rough life and lived in a rough neighborhood and did made some questionable decisions and I was really just hoping for a little bit more within this story I mean I would have liked to have seen more of his actual incarceration maybe maybe you take sort of a non-linear approach to the story I just would have liked to have seen a little bit more done and and this director while obviously talented enough to land a, a fairly big movie with fairly big movie stars I haven't really heard of him in much else, and I, I think maybe if there was a more talented, uh, well-known hand, maybe, uh, attacking this subject matter, we would have gotten something a little bit more imaginative. Uh, with that being said, it was a, it was interesting enough, and the performances were good enough, and it's obviously hits home close to home here in Michigan, um, so I still gave it a 6 out of 10. Two questions I have about White Boy Rick, and it sounds like the film didn't address him. I mean, two, I think of the, and, and look, I'll be honest, full disclosure, I don't know the full history, and I think that, right, there's some questions about what the full history is. He claims his life went a certain way, and maybe that's not all founded. But anyway, my two questions are, um, you know, how how did it how did it go down where the FBI just disc he claims the FBI discarded him and he was forced into a life of selling drugs did that really go down that way and if so is there any blame placed on the authorities federal authorities who did so and secondly why was he in prison for so long for a drug charge well uh, to answer your second question. In Michigan, when you possess, at least it used to be, um, state law said that if you possess more than 8 kilograms of cocaine, which he did, he had well over that, yeah. it's an automatic life sentence. That was a Michigan okay. law, which may seem harsh, but you have to realize the 1980s was the height of the yep, crack. I got it. Uh, you know, the war on drugs. Uh, Nancy Reagan was in the White House talking about drugs are bad, they're going to kill you, we got to get them off our streets. Yep. I mean, there was no tolerance for this kind of stuff back then. Um, so... That's why he was in for so long. Um, to answer your second question, that's obviously, again, a gray area. You know, the only people who really know how he got involved as an informant for the FBI is the FBI and, uh, him. They're, and him. And they're obviously quite notorious for, you know, being the FBI and being quite secretive in what yeah. they do. So, you know, despite what came out in the court of law, and it's a he said, she said, and when it, not a he said, she said, but a he said, they said. Yeah. And when it's the FBI versus some poor drug dealer who has been caught with drugs while not working with the FBI, you can imagine uh, which side the Michigan court system is going yeah. gonna to air on. So I, I, there is a lot of unknown, um, but at the same time, he was out of the, he was working for the feds at some at one point. Uh, that is known. That's established. The, the FBI right? acknowledges that, okay, that yes, okay. he was working for the government, but he also got back in it for his own personal gain. Yeah. Um, and so that's what led to him having more problems down the line. And he's obviously, I mentioned the other Florida case, which is non-related. So, you know, some questionable behavior from White Boy Rick here, but here in Michigan, if you ask around or you read comments on news stories or anything, there's plenty of people that are in his corner thinking Absolutely, he got a bad yeah. deal here. So, you know, for that purpose, to bring this up to more of a national audience maybe, I think this is a good, I'm glad this movie got made. I'm glad that people can sort of, you know, see at least sort of what has 
transpired with this guy because it really is a fascinating story. That being said, um, I have uh, seen that uh, white boy Rick's sister, um, who is portrayed in the film, I mentioned she had some drug issues. She has come out publicly and said that she's not happy with the portrayal of her family because, mm-hmm. of course, you know, they show them as sort of poverty-stricken deadbeats, you know, on the east side of Detroit. Uh, what I'll say to her is that it's based on true events, not a true story. Yeah. This is Hollywood. So, But yeah, that's White Boy Rick. Uh, definitely a movie that will be of interest mm. to listeners here in Michigan. You think a jumping-off point for Richie Merritt? I, I, I think mean, it it's could a be. big role. I think it very well could be. Obviously, starring alongside you know a, a, an actor like Matthew McConaughey, yeah. who's an Oscar-winning, Oscar-winning actor, um, could definitely sort of help him propel himself. And yeah. this is his first major role. Here in this movie. Yeah. So okay. um, definitely, you know, he does a good job in this. I really do like his sort of mannerisms, and he seems legit, and he seems like a guy who could be on the streets here in Detroit. Um, I saw a story actually about him where he said that he had never heard of Matthew McConaughey before landing this role. Get out of here! <laughs> so, Liar! That, so that tells you everything you need to know about Richie Merritt. <laughs> wow. Anyways, that's yeah. White Boy oh, Hey, I'm not surprised to hear about your disappointment because one of those releases that I heard so much about before it was released, and then afterwards, not much. So, well, hey, that's what we have for you today uh, on today's show of the SDFP. Before we let you go, we want to remind you one more time of how you can connect with us. And uh, we've got all the... If it's social media, we got it, champ. Yeah. Facebook, Twitter, SoundCloud, iTunes. Those are the big four. Or if you just search for Second Day Film Podcast, you'll find us. Uh, You can email us at secondayfilm at gmail.com and like you said if you're interested in uh, maybe coming on the show talking movies or anything like that uh just go ahead and reach out to us you know either personally or through all our uh, social media um but anyways we're glad to be back i know we took a little bit of a three-week break there um hoping to get back in here you know as we said you know evan's had some some stuff to deal with some and life crisis some, some life crises and the summer is coming to an end here so um you know not as many weddings and bachelor parties and stuff like that so hopefully we can squeeze in a few more pods for you but we appreciate everybody who's listened to every single one of our episodes we've been doing this since february now and this is episode 21 sure. so uh we're, we're here we're gonna be here we're gonna keep grinding um and we're looking forward to coming up on some of the big movies coming out here at the end of the year that's right thanks everybody for listening and we'll see you at the movies <laughs>